I want to suggest that work-life balance is a false god. It, it's a myth. The only things that are truly balanced are either, uh, well, let's just say they're non-living things. They're either dead things or things like statues. Yeah. Um, but the life with Jesus is an active life. It's moving somewhere. So the goal is not to be perfectly balanced, perfectly still. The goal is to move in step with where Jesus is moving. What's up, everyone? Hope you guys are having a great day. Today, we have a great podcast for you. It's a follow-up to our first podcast with John Chandler. Dr. John Chandler is a great friend of mine, has been a spiritual mentor to me, and and is a great mind around discipleship. He runs an organization called Uptick. Uh, you can go to uh, his website at uptick.org to find more information. John has led Uptick since 2007. Uh, he has 35 years of ministry experience as a pastor, conference speaker, church consultant, mentor to leaders. He holds degrees at University of North Carolina, Princeton Theological Seminary, and Fuller Theological Seminary, and is the author of six books on spiritual leadership. His latest book is called Uptick, like a blueprint for finding and forming the next generation of pioneering kingdom leaders. He released that in November of 2019. It's a great book, especially around how to uh, utilize these things that we're going to discuss today called life shapes in discipleship and in leading people towards a deeper relationship with Christ. John is also a husband, a father, a grandfather. He lives in North Carolina uh, at Chapel Hill and uh, is a huge UNC uh, sports fan. Super excited and humbled to have John with us today. And I think you guys are going to really enjoy what we talk about. A lot of what we talk about today was extremely life-changing for me, made a huge difference in my life, not just spiritually, but my everyday life. Also, if you could rate and subscribe to our podcast, that would be great. We'd love a five-star rating, of course, uh, if you feel it's worthy. And uh, also, we ask that if you could share uh, this podcast on your social media platforms, that would be awesome as well. Or just let your friends know that you feel like that would benefit from what we're talking about. It's the only way we really grow. And uh, we are looking to grow uh, the podcast for many reasons, but the most important is so that we can engage the everyday person in conversations around Christ and walking out our faith. So if you would be a partner with us in doing that, we'd really appreciate it. And without further ado, let's get started. Let's do this. Hello, John. How are you? What's up, man? How are you doing? I'm living a dream, baby. I hear you. I hear you. Welcome back to the Ordinary Discussions podcast. Thanks for, for doing the first one uh, on the circle. Pleasure. I look forward to yep. diving into this the, today's topic for sure. Definitely one of my favorite subjects. Oh, it made such a huge difference in my life, John. Uh, one thing in Uptick that probably gave me a ton of freedom uh, in my life was this, uh, somebody that just uh, was uh, so focused on producing at all, in all areas of life at all times, uh, it really gave me a ton of freedom. And, and it was exactly what I needed at the exact time. So hopefully that'll be the case for, for many of our listeners as well. You know, even that word producing, that's interesting. It's a, that, that's a word that comes out of an industrialized um, Western European American background. And, and the difference between production and fruitfulness is the difference between sort of the false goal that we've been given about what our life should be about as opposed to the way of Jesus, which is a very different, a different goalpost. It's a different way. So you just get out of even simple language like that can make such a difference. Language creates culture and, and the language of Jesus is different than the language of American business. It sure is. It sure is. Um, well, Hey, anything new since our last time together? I would say, Carolina dropped 62 on Miami. That's a new thing. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, the Tar Heels. I would huh? say I had my I had my granddaughters over the weekend, and so I need like uh, 12 hours of sleep a night. <laughs> <after that>. Yeah, <laughs> definitely a reason we had children when we were young. They're <laughs> awesome. I can. It, it is indescribable. I bet. I bet. And in pandemic, we've relocated to Chapel Hill because with the students gone, believe it or not, it's actually safer here than it is uh, in our little rural hotspot. Uh, oh, is that now. right? So, 
Yeah, yeah, like half the counties in North Carolina are, are in the red right now. So, but with your age, you'll be first in line for that vaccine, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm advanced age. I got a lot of personal problems. Uh, yeah, I should be getting one tomorrow. That's probably. that's not true. That's not true. Um, so, are the students there still, or, or did they go? Uh, students students have been sent home to um, infect their families, and um, <laughs> they won't be back until mid to late January. If they, who knows where we'll be by then? Oh yeah, you're in a safe spot then. Yeah. Do you go to the Do you go to the football games? Are you able to get tickets? Yeah, I went to I went to football games. Um, North Carolina law was seven percent capacity, so it was like three thousand people in a fifty four thousand seat stadium. So a lot of energy there. Um, a lot of energy. <laughs> it was surprising. You know, you'd be surprised. Is that right? But you know, I look at these games that are in Florida and stuff like that, and people were just crammed next to each other. I was like, this is like the wild, wild west. Yeah, that Florida, um, uh, Florida LSU game. By the way, that was a crazy game. I mean, crazy. The guy throws the shoe. Like, what an idiot. I mean, I don't care. I mean, that is just stupid. But the fog and then I, the crowd was like, I, I, I was just watching replays of it and thought, is, is this really social distancing? Because it looks pretty packed to me. If only something could be done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, thank God we got this vaccine finally. If people take it, that is. Most of, a lot of people I talk to say they don't want it. I don't know what to say, ma'am. Yeah. My mother, I think, has the best solution. She's like, if you don't want the vaccine or you don't want to wear a mask, you just get a little stamp on your hand. And when you go to the hospital, you get in the back of the line. <laughs> well, there's some truth to that, right? It's like, um, yeah, anyhow, we get, we'll open that kind of words. We digress. Yeah, we better. Uh, we digress. We, <laughs> well, hey, speaking, speaking of some crazy news, um, I guess I can't call you Dr. Chandler anymore, according to the Wall Street Journal. What's that? Oh, you haven't read that article? No. <laughs> oh, you have to read this article. So this guy, uh, Epstein is his last name. Uh, he wrote an article for the Wall Street. It's 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 huge news. Like it's all over. It's 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 gone viral. This thing. But he says, "Is there a doctor in the White House? Not if you need an MD." And it says Jill Biden should think about dropping the honorific, which feels fraudulent, even even, even comic. So this guy from Northwestern is writing this article about how the only person that should have a doctor in front of their names is somebody actually practicing medicine. Anyhow, it has it has caused extreme outrage, and uh, so it it's just kind of funny because uh, the cancel culture. Uh, it doesn't matter. I mean, you think it's just. Um, it was it was out against uh, conservatism, but I guess not. I guess it's 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 anybody. <laughs> Jill Biden. Now. Where was that guy when I was in like fourteen years of graduate school? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I think it's the most absurd thing ever. Um, I thought for sure you would have heard about it. So well, I'll still nah, call I'll I'm, still call I'm, you Doctor Chandler. You're still Doctor Chandler to me. Uh, you know, I prefer to be John, but uh, I know you do. That's why I call you doctor. I'm what, whatever. I know. I know. <laughs> if you made me call you doctor, then I wouldn't want to do it. <laughs> I would probably prefer something like Your Majesty, or yeah. you know, I could be British at heart and go for royal titles. I'm working on that in my home, but my kids don't buy it. <laughs> my wife doesn't <laughs> revolting. My wife definitely doesn't buy it. <laughs> well, hey, let's jump into this um, this life shape. So last time we did the circle, which was how to hear from God, is, is these Kairos moments, these moments in life that it may be God speaking to us, it may not. How do we decide if that was God or not? How do we process that? So if you haven't listened to that podcast, I would highly encourage you to go back and listen to it. This one is on the semicircle. And uh, for me... Um, and it's, 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 it's titled rhythm of life. I, I, I believe that's what we always talked about it as, uh, John. I, so correct me if I'm wrong here. You're the expert. Um, so rhythm of life, which is huge. It was absolutely instrumental in my life in so many ways, not only spiritually, spiritually, it gave me extreme freedom, uh, which I needed. And it really pro <sighs> I would say it was the reason that ordinary men was birthed because it, it allowed me the space I needed to hear the voice of God. Um, in my in my physical, it gave me freedom for rest, and in my my schedule, uh, it gave me 
uh, the ability to have rhythm versus trying to balance, which is impossible to do. Balance is, is an impossibility, at least in my life. I, I, people push back on me when I say this a lot, um, that actually balance is the right way, this and that. That's fine. But I tried to live in balance for uh, 38 years, and until I found rhythm, I, I was miserable. And so they, they can live in balance if they want or try to. But the rhythm thing has worked really well for me. So before we jump into that, I just want to encourage everyone listening uh, to pause the podcast now. Go to the description of the podcast and go to our website, www.theordinarymen.com forward slash life shapes. Uh, there you will see information. You'll have links back to John's website, uptick.org. Uh, you will have um, a visual of the actual life shape, and there will be a write up from John. Um, and maybe some from me on, on what exactly the life shape is. I'll probably quote his book, uh, uptick, which is all about life shapes and, and discipleship through life shapes. And so anyhow, this information is going to be very important as you listen to this podcast, because if you can't visualize it, it may be a little more difficult to understand what we're saying. So just, just pause the podcast for a second, go to the ordinary forward slash life shapes, or just the description of the podcast and click on the link, take you five minutes and then come on back. So now that you've done that, John, let's dive in. Tell us about the, the semicircle. Well, I mean, you said a mouthful, you know, when you talked about how uh, thinking about rhythm of life is an absolute game changer because it is. So, you know, when we when we talked last time about the circle specifically and life shapes generally, what we said is that that these life shapes, um, they're not the only way to talk about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, but they're a simple, repeatable practice, you know, a, a way that you can put into practice. Uh, and so the circle, just to review, uh, being about that the core competency of being a follower of Jesus is the ability to hear from God and to respond to God. So it's this you know core idea that what it means to follow Jesus now is what it meant to follow Jesus when he walked the earth. When he says something to you, it registers with you and you do it. So um, we have to uh, we, we have uh, to do something. Actually, yeah. Oh my and, gosh. And this is where we say that, that Christianity is simple but hard. It's not complicated and easy. The, the core of being a, a disciple is that when God speaks to you, you hear what God says and you, you do what God says. Oh. So, um, All this time, I thought we were just doing him a favor by calling ourselves followers. We, we, he wants us to do something? The, 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 the thing about followers is you actually have to follow somewhere. Oh, interesting. Jesus is on the move. Well, we may the Spirit be, is alive and at work in the world. you got to go there. We may need to tell some people that are Christians that. I, mean, I think maybe we... That's probably a, a very good idea. So, <laughs> So, you know, like I'll just speak personally, um, when I embrace for the first time this idea that what being a follower of Jesus is about is that Jesus is going somewhere and I need to go somewhere with him and he's going to tell me where to go. He doesn't hand me a map. He, he says, come with me, come follow me. Then um, the, the key determinant about whether I go where he's going or not is whether I listen to him. So, you know, the circle is about learning to hear and respond, to listen and respond to God. And then what I learned in the semicircle is that I'm not a great listener. And one of the reasons I'm not a great listener is that I got a lot of other stuff going on and I got a lot of other things and people I'm listening to instead. Mm -hmm. So I've got a lot of competition for listening to Jesus and I've got to sort that out and rhythm of life helps me address what is in my power to address about becoming a better listener uh, to where God wants to take me. Yeah. Great. So how do we dive into the semicircle? Where's how, how do we? Well, first of all, I, I mean, to me, so it's this rhythm of life. It's this, it's this um, uh, how, how to live out uh, kingdom 
uh, versus the, the, the day and age we live in. I have a, I have a quote here from your book, um, on the semicircle and and uptick page 120. Uh, So I'll read your words back to you, John. Uh, You say, how does a follower of Jesus, leader of people, live with a rhythm more in tune with the kingdom of God than the spirit of our age? In Dallas Willard's framing, how does one practice spiritual disciplines of detachment from the frenetic pace of Western life in order to be free to practice disciplines of engagement in a kingdom not ruled by achievement, deadlines, haste, and the myth of work-life balance? And that's really what this is, right? It's a tool to teach us how to do that. Yeah, I, there's a mouthful in that sentence, as there usually <laughs> is with Dallas Willard stuff. But just to pick up, for instance, on work-life balance, and we, and we hinted at this a little bit. I think when we talk with uptick entrepreneurs, uh, this becomes a huge thing. And, you know, I want to suggest that work-life balance is a false god. It, it's a myth. The only things that are truly balanced are either uh, – uh, well, let's just say they're non-living things. They're yeah. either dead things or things like statues. Yeah. Um, but the life with Jesus is an active life. It's moving somewhere. So the goal is not to be perfectly balanced, perfectly still. The goal is to move in step with where Jesus is moving. So our lives move. We, we've got, you know, we've got places to go and people to see and things to do in our life. And entrepreneurs grasp this faster than anybody else because they've got a business to run. Yeah. So the question is not how do I be still after so much running as much as it is, how do I move through my life in such a way that I'm doing the things that I need to do and yet I'm living a fruitful, joyful life that somebody else might actually want? Yeah. So you hear, you hear people all the time go, oh, man, I'm so busy. I'm just exhausted. I'm overwhelmed all the time. I'm not, not getting enough sleep. My eating is terrible. I'm cranky to be around all this stuff. Who wants that life? The, the, the life that Jesus has is the life that people were always following him. Yeah. They saw something in the way that he lived his life, and they said, I don't know exactly what that is, but whatever it is, I want more of that. Mm -hmm. So the goal is actually to live that kind of life. And that is not a work-life balanced life. That's a life that's in rhythm, that's going somewhere, that's getting some stuff done, but doing it in such a way that it is deeply full of joy and and, uh, relationally rich, uh, spiritually attuned, and, and in the Bible's language, very fruitful. So, I mean, I don't want to live a life that, that nobody else would want. Uh, and, 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 the, and the semicircle is, is a tool to think about our lives that is both deeply in covenant relationship with Jesus and simultaneously carrying out kingdom mission from Jesus and to do it uh, daily, weekly, and seasonally, to do it every day, to have a week that reflects uh, the rhythm that Jesus himself kept, and to understand the seasons of our life and how there's different um, ways of walking and pacing during different seasons of life. Yeah, it's interesting. Do you, uh, you, you know Brene Brown? She's written many books. Um She's not a Christian author, uh, but a lot of what she talks about is what we're talking about now, which is, um, I think, Daring Greatly is the one this is from. But she has a quote in, in it. She says, we need to start letting go of exhaustion as a status symbol and productivity as self-worth. I actually have that pop up on my phone once a week uh, to remind myself to let go of exhaustion as a status symbol and productivity as self-worth. Because, man, I have played in that arena for a long time. And you know what's interesting? This is really not a pat on my back in any way about my life, although I do, I, I believe in lifestyle design, and this is part of it. And I believe that we we can choose the life we live, and we're not always just a victim of, of circumstances. Now, sometimes we are. I understand that. But even within that, you can choose how you're going to react and how you're going to live life. So... Um, I actually have people that are exhausted in life that are chasing productivity as a status symbol that will say things to me to almost demean where I'm at in life. 
and, and, and meaning like I was on vacation last week in Maui and I actually had a couple of people say, well, I wouldn't want to be doing what you're doing necessarily. And I'm thinking, oh, so you'd rather be uh, at work talking to your employees than being, uh, it's just crazy. Like we have, they, we, people have become brainwashed to believe that somehow life is about uh, chasing the mighty dollar and being as productive as we possibly can. And that's how we find our self-worth. And that's just not what we're taught in the semicircle. Um, so how do we dive into this? Uh, what's our first step? Because I think there's three things to talk about today. One is spiritually, how does the rhythm look? Uh, one, and, and tell me where I'm going off course here if I am. The other is uh, in our normal everyday life, just rest versus work sequence. Um, and, and, and then the other is just in our, our everyday schedule of rhythm of life. Can we talk yeah. about those three? Sure. Well, see, I actually think those three are, are radically intertwined. Oh, they are, for uh, sure. I, I, think your, I think your work is spiritual. I, I think that how you conduct your life is deeply spiritual. And, and that's the way it was with Jesus. He didn't, he didn't sort of have separate times for <clears throat> um, Bible study <laughs> and separate times for... Um, Okay, now we got to get some, you know, somebody's got to scare up some supper here. And, and now we need to do a little bit of work and things like that. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the physical is the spiritual. Um, so um, I, wanted to, I wanted to just tag one thought yeah. uh, back on what you were saying with Brene Brown. In, uh, in the 1980s, this uh, psychologist named Scott uh, wrote a book that was, tremendously popular back then called The Road Less Traveled. And I remember Mary got it for me right after we were married. We were married in 84 and I read it and I saw a line in that book that completely uh, struck me. And it talked about the laziness of hurry, the laziness of busyness. And it, it essentially said that a person who is constantly talking about how busy, how exhausted, how in a hurry, how overwhelmed they were, all of this is fundamentally a lazy person because that language and that life demonstrates that you have failed to prioritize um, your life in such a yeah. way that you have sort of put the big rocks in the jar. Mm -hmm. um, so um, I, I'm just I'm just saying amen to the point that you described in your own journey of um, of saying it's actually it's not a story we want to tell about ourselves to always talk about how busy we are and how overwhelmed we are and how important we are based on how much we have to do and things like that. And Jesus actually releases you from that. You know, I love the passage in Matthew 11 where he said, um, take my yoke and follow me because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Mm -hmm. and, and easy doesn't mean easy what it means now. It means the yoke that Jesus has um, fits you right. So it doesn't rub you raw. It's, it's, it's sort of like, um, you know, a high quality backpack that actually works, but you still got to carry the backpack up the mountain. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it's not a backpack that's going to wear your, your, wear you out because it's poorly designed. Jesus, the life of Jesus is a well-designed life. I like what you, what you said earlier about, uh, what did you call it? Lifestyle design. Yeah. Lifestyle design. Yep. Yeah. Jesus is about lifestyle design. And, um, you know, I, I do recognize here that this is a very privileged conversation. You and I have a roof over our heads. We have clothes on our back, plenty of food in the house, you know, things like that. So Jesus has a ton to say about all of that. Uh, but, but make no mistake, following Jesus is about living a certain way. And some of that has to do with how we relate to time. So all of that to say is that the semicircle is... Uh, in many ways, how we relate to time. And is time a blessing or a curse? And is time something that allows us to live in deep relationship with Jesus and with each other? Or is time something that steals 
from our relationship with Jesus and with the other key relationships in our life. Yeah. I, I mean, I have to go back to that busy, that busy piece that you spoke about. It's interesting. Brene Brown talks about that as well. Again, I get all her books mixed up, um, but she talks about busyness. And again, nothing's new under the sun, right? I didn't realize that someone had practically written the same book <laughs> already. But um, she talks about busyness in the same way, that it's just, it's complete laziness. If you, if you live a life that is extremely busy, it's because you're lazy with your time. You're, you're not purposeful. You're not, you're not saying no to the right things. You're not, you're not, um, you're not designing your life in a way that, that you're controlling it. Everyone else is controlling it. She also says, and I love this because it's so true in our society. I hate the word busy. Everybody I talk to says, I'm so busy. And I think, we use that as a badge of honor. It's a badge of embarrassment, in my opinion. If, if every time I talk to somebody, they say, I'm so busy, I'm like, what? Really? You're 40-some you're years old, and you can't uh, figure out your schedule enough that you, you don't have some time in your life that you're always busy? Here's the reality. Sometimes that's not even the case. People think to say they're busy that makes them important, number one, which is not true. And then number two, Brene Brown says it, not me, <laughs> but I'll agree with it. It's, a, it's the number one excuse people give for not doing what they don't really want to do. So like you'll say, hey, Jeremy, do you want to get together for a call? I'd love to, John, but I'm really busy. But what you're really saying is, John, I have other things in my life that are more important than you're asking me to do, but I don't want to tell you that. So I'm just going to tell you I'm busy so that I don't have to do it versus me just saying, hey, John, I'm sorry, I've already got something scheduled and I need to take care of, of these things, but maybe we can schedule another time. But that's not what people say. They say I'm busy and they use the busy as an excuse not to do the things mm -hmm. they don't want to. And I see that all the time, especially in discipleship. Jesus talked about that. You know, Jesus talked about having people come follow him and one said, oh, I just got married. The other one said, I just bought a field and I need to go look at it. And, you know, if you bought the field, haven't you already looked at it? You know, <laughs> But, but they were making excuses about why they didn't truly want to follow Jesus. So, well, again, I see it. I see it every day. I know we're going down a bit of a. This is not really rabbit trail. It's very relevant. But I see it every day in discipleship. When I encourage ordinary people to step forward in discipleship, I get the busy excuse more than anything. More than anything, it 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 is always like, especially with COVID. I love this one. Well, I would love to lead a group, but I don't know what my job's going to look like with COVID. And, and what I want to say, maybe what I should start saying, because it is high challenge, and I'll just say it to anyone listening, maybe. What I want to say, oh, so your job comes before your discipleship? Like, like, are we putting the right things first? As you would say, are we putting the big stones in first, that analogy? You put the big stones in, the smaller stones at the end, you put the sand, the sand fills in the gaps. You can fit a lot more into a jar doing that than you can putting the sand first. You'll never fit the big stones in. And so what I see in life is everybody's throwing the sand in, and then they don't have time for the big thing, which is a relationship with Christ comes first. And then that same person will complain in five years from now because they're broke and they don't have a job or they can't. It's like, well, you never put Christ first. You put your money before Christ. You, you, you put your job before the calling of discipleship in your life. And, and I just, I, I think... Anyhow, that all goes back to this busy piece. I can go on and on. It sounds like I'm on a tangent. I'm really not upset with people. I'm more... Um, it just frustrates me because I know the power of, of, of putting God first in our tithe and our time and in our lives. And I know the blessings that come from it. And I think so many people are missing the blessing that God has for them because they put everything else above him. Instead of fitting their life around God, they fit God around their life. And what they do is they make their life so busy that they have no room for God. Then they wonder why they don't, they don't feel God in their daily lives. Like, well, I wonder why. Well, I mean, you know, it, it is high challenge, but honestly, most of us need to be challenged about our relationship with time. I remember um, at one time I had a, a woman that, that worked on church staff with me, and she got a speeding ticket on the way to church. Hmm. And, um, you know, so she was a little bit rattled by the time she got there and she, trying to get it together for uh, what we had going on on Sunday morning. And... Uh, and so she talked about her interaction with the officer that pulled her and she was flying, you know, she's a wild driver, <laughs> but, um, she said, I got so much to do. I'm late for this. I have to run all this. I got to And the officer said, um, 
leave earlier, drive slowly, more slowly, and you'll get there on time. But don't give me this idea that you got to speed now because you were undisciplined about these other things. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, ooh, I'm, I'm glad to have that conversation with you, not me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But but it's so applicable, right? Yeah. Um, we, we just need to rethink what what time is about. And the semicircle is a way of doing that. It sure so when is. You think, about, you think about when God brought order out of chaos in the very first words of the Bible. And so the spirit hovered over the formless deep. The earth was without form and void and darkness hovered over the face of the waters. And then you begin to see in Genesis 1 how God began to create order out of chaos. And so it's like, and so God said, God spoke, and it and the, the light separated from the darkness, and the day separated from the night, and the water separated from the land, and the and, and God said, and it was so, and it was evening and morning the first day, evening, morning, the second day. And God said, and it was so, and it was evening. So you begin to see this order that comes out of this chaos. So what part of what we learn about that, oh, and by the way, um, the stars and the moon, the, uh, the, the things by which we measure time, were created on day four. So that'll blow your mind if you begin to think about. Time as we construct it is actually something that God created midway through the process of creation itself. So human time is, is, is secondary to the rhythm that God builds into the process of creation itself. So, I mean, you know, we could take 10 walks around the block thinking about that and still not scratch the surface. Yeah. But the whole point of that is that when God is creating, he creates through the media of time and space. And when we want to create in the same way that God is creating, so through our businesses, for instance, then we do it through rightly ordering time and space. And if we don't nail time and space, then whatever we do, you know, we're not doing it in step with the spirit of God. Absolutely. So to get into the semicircle and some practicality in our lives, um, we'll start, let's start with the spiritual side of, of things. And so you talk often about, we, we rest to re- we we work from a, we should work from a pl- place of rest, not rest from a place of work. And Jesus models that in the very first day of creation, after he forms Adam and Eve, they rested. So the very first day was rest, and so from that rest, then all the work then then, then they work. But the first day of every week was rest, and then we also read it, in, which was extremely. Th- this was probably the most freeing thing for me spiritually was the John fifteen um, parable of the vine. Um, so can you talk a little bit about that and, and rest in the, in the sense of our spiritual journey and, um, yeah, I'll just kind of turn it over to you. Sure. Um, so, you, you know, you nailed it in terms of talking again about, uh, working out of rest rather than resting from work. And that goes back to the order of creation itself. So it was evening, evening is the time for rest. And morning. Morning is the time for work. You know, you said that. I'm going to interrupt you. You said that earlier. You said evening and then morning. And I thought you were, I was like, is he saying that backwards? But no, you, that's actually in the, in the Bible, huh? It's, it's evening, then morning. We've got it backwards. We've got it backwards. We've, we've misordered a way of thinking about time and space to the point where, um, you know, say hello to Mary. Hey, Mary. Uh, We we we, uh, we think that it's morning and then evening, but it's the Bible says it's evening and morning, and that's this idea that we rest out of we we work out of our rest. Hmm. So the first thing that we do is go to sleep in a biblical day, hmm. and we we let God get out ahead of us, and God do the heavy lifting and the work, and then we're actually joining God in work. We're not working and asking God to help us with whatever we're doing. God's already doing. And then we're joining in with what God is doing. So, so rhythm of life is, is uh, and the semicircle itself is language about this, this beautiful life that, that 
goes TikTok like this. And, um, yeah, like a pendulum, and, and a pendulum creating a semicircle. The pendulum, yes. yes. And the, and the pendulum is, you know, there are two core themes throughout the scripture. And one of those themes is our covenant relationship with God. And one is our kingdom responsibility from God. Now, you know, if you're kind of a hard charging person like you, Jeremy, or like me in, in a lot of ways, then, you know, we think first kingdom, right? I got stuff to do. I got goals to accomplish. I got things to build. I've got to create. I've got a mission that I've got to carry out. And the idea of the semicircle is that, uh, yes, you do. And those things actually flow out of what Jesus tells you to do. Real, real uh, simple idea, but a hard idea. Jesus himself said, I, I do nothing on my own. I only do what my father shows me to do, tells me to do. So it's this idea that we, we do have a lot to do in this world, but that actually God has some pretty good ideas of what those things are that we need to do. And it might be a good idea if we listen to God um, in order to figure out those things that we need to do. So, you know, the, the rhythm of life is about listening, leading, listening, leading. It's about, actually, it's about leading by first following. So if we're following Jesus, Jesus will take us where we need to go, and, and we'll actually be able to lead others on into that same path. But the way of Jesus is a way of abiding, resting, listening, uh, receiving Jesus' love to us, Remembering the call in our baptism where he says to us, you're my beloved in whom I'm well pleased. Not because we've accomplished, done, achieved, attained, but just because we're his children. Yeah. So, you know, if, if you if you live in that life of listening first and, and drawing close to Jesus, abiding with Jesus and so forth, he's got stuff for you to do. And, and you do a lot of stuff. I mean, Christianity didn't go from 12 people following Jesus to by far the most dominant religion in the entire world 2,000 years later by people who didn't do anything. Yeah, There's a lot to do. But, but those who follow Jesus and who live well, as Jesus wants us to live, lead out of having listened first. Yeah, and I think that's uh, one of the things we talk about in Ordinary Men is doing from a place of calling versus doing from a place of trying to earn. And I lived, wow. and I think many Christians are in this boat, or maybe if you're listening, you can, this resonates with you, but I, I lived a large part of my life doing, but never really feeling like this calling to do. Uh, it was more, well, if I, if I agreed at church, none of this is bad, by the way, and maybe what you're called. And even if you don't feel called, it's something you should do because you're part of the body of Christ and it's part of the church. And, and, but that's probably for some people, it may be for others. It's probably not your calling to just be a greeter, not just, but to be a greeter. It may, maybe God has something specific for you. The problem is we don't spend enough time in rest. We don't spend enough time abiding that we never get our marching orders. So we just keep doing what we think we should do. And I mean, we can, I can give you 20 things that Christians think they should do and they do it because it makes them feel better by doing it. I did it for years until I finally woke up and said, wait, there's more to this. I need to hear from God, not just what everybody thinks I should be doing. And so that's where this rhythm piece came in really strong. Now, if we look at John 15, if you don't mind, I'm going to read some of that. Is that okay yeah. with you, John? So John 15, uh, verse 1 through uh, 5, uh, let's do 1 through 4, um, and then we'll talk about it, and I think we'll frame it pretty well with, with the semicircle. Uh, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the, wor the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And then he goes on to say, um, 
Where is it? He talks about fruit that lasts. Sorry. I don't know. I'm not seeing it now. So for, for, for time purposes, we'll just talk on that. So talk to me about well, this, that, that this particular section ends with Jesus saying, apart from me, you can do nothing, which is, is super important. Yeah. I am the vine. You are the branches If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit apart from me. You can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown in a fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given. This is my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I love that. Verse 8. This is my Father's glory. So how do we glorify the Father? We bear much fruit. So that goes back to the whole, well, you don't have to do works. Well, okay, that's fine. But if you want to glorify Christ, you do it by bearing fruit. Jesus said it right there. Showing yourself to be my disciples. Well, how do you show yourself to be a disciple? You bear, you bear fruit, period. Jesus said it, not me, Jesus. <laughs> so anyhow, go ahead, John. I mean, you know, again, there's so much richness in that passage, but it's the idea about... Um, you know, we were made to we were made to bear fruit. I mean, you know, the first thing that happens when God creates human beings is that he places them in a garden and he says, now you're to till and keep the garden. You know, we're not we're not built to be in a hammock in the garden. We have work to do. Um, and so, you know, Jesus is kind of hearkening back to some of those metaphors talking about, well, what is it like actually to produce fruit in the garden. He's changing the metaphor now because in some ways we're the actual we're the actual plant here. And and what he says is countercultural and counterintuitive. He actually says pruning leads to growth. And so if you, I mean I'm a gardener, so if you know anything about gardening, it it, it it is it's counterintuitive, but you have to cut off the suckers in order to give the nutrients to the things that have the possibility to blossom and to bear fruit. So the, the, the great, uh, the great jujitsu of Jesus here is that, you know, cutting things off actually allows other branches to flourish and, and things are going to be cut off um, and cut back. And either way uh, you're going to feel the knife of God in some ways but the goal is to prune rather than yourself be something that's cut off. Yeah. Mike Breen's uh, in, in the book you gave me, Building a Discipleship Culture, uh, I'll quote him. He says, fruitfulness happens in stages and seasons. Abide, grow, bear fruit, prune, abide. So that's, that's, your, that's your stages. You abide, you grow, you bear fruit, you're pruned, then you abide again, right? This is the rhythm of the swinging pendulum, the semicircle. It is really all about timing. We cannot bear fruit if we do not spend time abiding. And for anyone listening, that is intimacy with Jesus. That's what we call in ordinary men, intimacy with Jesus. That is building an intimate relationship with the Lord, spending time with him, abiding in him, taking in his nutritions, his micronutrients, everything you need to grow and bear fruit in the future. So spend time abiding, but we cannot simply stay put in the abide mode for a branch that does not eventually bear fruit will be cut off and cast into the fire. So, um, John, I just have to say, that is where I found so much freedom in my spiritual journey. I had this mentality that somehow if I was not bearing fruit, I was getting cut off and thrown into the fire. Oh my gosh, I have to bear fruit constantly. Like if I'm not bearing fruit, then I'm not a good Christian. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying there's yeah. a season, every tree has a season to bear fruit. And as you've mentioned in Uptick, your book, the season to bear fruit is not the growing season. That The growing season is what allows you to bear fruit. Bearing fruit is not the growth. The tree doesn't, doesn't bear fruit and then grow, grows and then bears fruit. And so this whole growing season is not necessarily the point in our lives where we're seeing the fruit. And so I, I realized that, oh my gosh, God doesn't expect me to bear fruit every second of my day, every, every hour of my life, or even every month of the year. Maybe even not every year out of the decade, maybe one year a decade. I don't know what, what he needs from each person is different, but I know he had to get me to the point spiritually where I was willing to do nothing but concentrate on him, abide in him, 
put him first in my relationship, not about what I was going to do for him, but put him first. And from that, he birthed passion and purpose in my life that allowed me to do something that I otherwise would never have done if I just tried to bear fruit always. So now it gives me this freedom to say, okay, there's probably a point in time where he's going to say to me, Jeremy, you're pushing too hard with ordinary men. You're pushing too hard in X, Y, Z. It's time for you to pull back some. I'm going to prune you back so that you can abide in me and get the micronutrients you need to do the next thing I call you to do or lead well in ordinary ordinary men or whatever it would may be, but it's not to bear fruit every single day and every single season. Anyhow, that was huge for me because it allowed me to abide. That would be a mutant plant, you know, (laughs) bore fruit without ever kind of having seasons. Yeah, it would. It sure would. I I had the benefit of watching my father, who was a, a remarkable gardener and he, you know, he especially was roses, which, you know, are the gardeners. <laughs> I never, I'm never going to get to roses, right? <laughs> but he would just prune in the right time the daylight out of those roses. You would look at that, look at him working pruning, and you would think he is murdering those plants. <laughs> they, they're done. They're finished. Yeah. But without that pruning, they don't grow back and they don't blossom in due season. Yeah. So I, you know, I had, um, had a guy named Carl George. That, that made one of those signal signal statements in my life um, probably 35 years ago. And he said, to your point about abiding with Jesus and intimacy with Jesus, he said, the trick is to learn how to divert daily, withdraw weekly, and abandon annually. Mm. And, and those three phrases are just gold because they speak to a rhythm of life in our daily life, our weekly life, and in our seasonal life. And when you think about people who followed Jesus, that's what they were learning as they walked with him um, in, in Galilee. They were learning a daily rhythm of life, a weekly rhythm of life as marked by Sabbath, and a seasonal rhythm of life. Now's the time for journeying. Now's the time to take a relaxing boat ride. Now's the time to do work healing and cleansing. Now's the time to pull away from prayer. So again, all of this is simply about not only believing what Jesus taught us, but doing the things that he actually did, which meant engaging, detaching, working, resting, out on mission, back with the Father. We're just doing what he did. Yeah. So I think, I think the takeaway for the spiritual side for me, and you can add something to it, anything to it that you want before we move into maybe the rhythm and, uh, rest and work, um, is that abiding is not unproductive. It is the most productive thing you will do. It looks like you're not being, it looks like you're not being productive because you're not actively producing something. But the difference is, the, you know, the fruit that lasts versus fruit. I mean, we can all produce fruit in our lives and just do it through our own good. Right. But is that what, is that what God's calling us to do? And, and, you know, the same thing through the discipleship culture, the book it says at the time of Jesus incarnation, a vine would be cultivated, planted and let grow for three years before allowing to bear fruit. Now this, Jesus is talking about a vine. Remember John, John uh, 15 is about a vine. So he's using this as an example. Jesus is. So it's planted and let to grow for three years before allowed to bear fruit. Every time it tried to bring forth fruit, a bunch of grapes, it would be cut back. It would be pruned. And so we as believers feel like being pruned and being taken out of the limelight per se. And boy, have Christians um, struggled to get into the limelight lately. I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's unbelievably disgusting almost. It's like, there's a quote that says it would almost, a Christian trying to get the glory would be like the donkey thinking that, the donkey carrying Jesus thinking that people were laying down palm branches for him, right? It's not what, that's not it. It, it, the glory is God's, but man, we have got that backwards. Yeah, so we're we're constantly trying to produce, and we think anytime that God prunes us back, and we're not in the limelight, and we're not producing, so people can see it that somehow we're not being effective, or we're not doing what God wants us to do. But that's exactly where He wants us, and that's a, that that was a freedom moment for me, and it's freedom for me today. Even when whenever He prunes me next, well, He's pruning me every day, but whenever He He decides to to cultivate me back pull me back from whatever I have on my mind, 
um, it gives me freedom to do that. And so hopefully it will some, some people listening. So, yeah, that's, I, I, I talk about this a little bit in the book, but, um, you know, in Phil Knight, Phil Knight's autobiography, Shoe Dog, about founding Nike, he talks about this sort of legendary uh, track coach in Oregon, Bill Bowerman. And, you know, Bill Bowerman built all of these sort of, he built this sort of championship culture that has endured for decades in running. And it was through a simple formula, which I think unintentionally mirrored the rhythm of life that Jesus is, is teaching. And it was training, um, training equals stress plus recovery equals improvement. Hmm. So, you know, obviously people who were going to run for Bill Bowerman, uh, had to be stressed in their running. He would push them hard as a coach, but he built in, recovery. In other words, you don't just run all the time. You run hard and then you recover from that. And that's what builds your ability to run further and faster, yeah. uh, farther and faster, farther's physical distance, right? Yes. Uh, run, run, run more long way. Uh, tra- training equals stress. Uh, plus recovery. That's what gains to improvement. And that's kind of what Jesus is saying too, uh, in, in, in his, uh, in a very different way of saying it is that we're being trained in righteousness and, and we don't actually get trained in righteous righteousness simply by working all the time, by running and doing all the time. We actually become better, stronger, faster by having a rhythm of, um, of work and rest. Yeah, that's great. So that's spiritually. I mean, for me, it also went into just everyday life of rhythm of, 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 uh, work rest. And then, it, and then it went into uh, a rhythm of just daily. And so I want to talk more about that. Um, so for me, I, I was always pushing, 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 uh, and then I, I would crash from that place of, of stress or work. So I'd go on vacation. And by the time, if it went on a seven day trip, by the time day five came, I was finally relaxing enough to, 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 uh, to enjoy the vacation versus going on vacation, being refueled, having great ideas. We always get our best ideas when we're in rest, by the way. John mentions that in his book, and it's so true. Our best ideas come from when we're at rest, not when we're going a million miles an hour. It's when we have time to actually think and cultivate thoughts. And so I I have found that uh, that's the way of America is work, 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 crash. Uh, But there's a way of doing it so that we build in rhythms in our lives of daily rest, uh, so for me, that is my quiet time in the morning. It's starting from a place of rest. It's starting from a place of abiding spiritually, but that's also a physical rest for me. It gives me a, a different footing as I, as I start my day. There's weekly rest. I take the Sabbath. Um, I don't work on the Sabbath uh, on Sunday. That's my Sabbath. And so I start every day from a place of rest versus working seven days a week. I believe that God can bless my six days. And it's actually five. I don't work on Saturdays either anymore, but can bless my five or six days more than he can seven if I try to push through it. And it's proven true in my life. Um, And then there's monthly and quarterly and yearly rhythms as well, built in rest. And I think that's really important for anyone. It doesn't have to be an entrepreneur. It can be anyone. You can be a firefighter. You can be a teacher. You can be whatever you, whatever your profession is. We all, we all run at a level that is oftentimes unhealthy in our lives. And I think it's very important that we build rest into our lives and don't make it something that's a byproduct of work, but work is a byproduct of our rest and looking at that differently uh, gave me a ton of freedom and it not only freedom, it gave me my, my lifestyle changed and, and life became a lot more fun and a lot less stressful. And so for me, that was really important. Yeah. I, I love that, that triangle of, of daily, weekly, seasonally, because I find that, um, usually one of those three is very difficult for me to rein in. Um, so what I've got to do is nail the other two. So for me, typically, you know, in the work I do, uh, because historically I've done um, 
um, a lot of um, speaking on Sundays in churches um, and things like that. You know, I've never had the same week twice in the last 30 years. And um, so I've got to nail my daily rhythm of life. So kind of like you said, beginning the day in, in a posture of listening, prayer and reading scripture and meditating and hear what God has to say to me. And then uh, seasonally, I have to build in inviolable times where I am not going to be working. I'm going to say, okay, I may have to really push up to Easter, but then after Easter, good luck finding me because uh, I'm going to be I'm going to be away with the Lord and and the people that the Lord has put in my life that give me rest and joy, like my wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. Well, John, thank you so much for your time today, um, your insight, and uh, and this tool, uh, this life shape, the the semicircle. And so, um, as we close out, I'm just gonna just speak just a little bit personally about how it's made a difference in my my rhythm of life. And I, I spent uh, I spent um, many many years trying to balance and uh, trying to. Um, I'll always, always make sure that, that, um, I was balancing and I, and I, and I wasn't, I wasn't cheating anyone anywhere. So the way that would look for me is, um, I'll just put it into my life. I, I, I would be working really hard during a season and, and then I would feel guilty that I was cheating my family and, and probably rightfully so. Uh, and then I would feel I would feel guilty or upset that I was cheating myself because I wasn't allowing myself to enjoy life and do the hobbies and the things that I really enjoy. So then I would say, okay, I'm going to pull away from work. I'm going to spend more time with my family. And then I would really focus on my family and try to family balance family and work. And then I would say, well, what about my hobbies? What about me? Like I I have a life as well. I I really want to hunt. I really. So then I would say, I'm going to hunt more. And so then I would get in the deer stand or I would go turkey hunting or let's say fishing. And the whole time that I was on the stand fishing in the boat, doing whatever I was doing, I would have this sense of guilt that, man, I should be, I should be at work right now, or I should be at home uh, with a family. And so I never had a sense of freedom anywhere. It was, if I was with family, I should be doing something else. If I was with, um, if I was in, in my hobbies, I would, I would feel like I should be working. If I was working, I should, I feel like I should be doing the others. And so uh, it, it was actually uh, pretty exhausting. It was an exhausting way of living for me. And so when I was introduced this way of rhythm um, versus balance, I thought, man, this is, this may, there may be something to this. And, and so for me, the key with the rhythm was to be very purposeful in designing rhythm in my life. And that's why I call it lifestyle design. I actually designed my life around the rhythm that I wanted in life. And then I discussed that with my wife and my kids when necessary, discussed it with my business partners uh, when necessary. And so I built, I built a life of rhythm. So there may be a time, like, let's say, so for me, elk season, um, and that's my hobby is hunting. That's my big hobby. Elk season is September. So September is a very busy month for me, and I wait all year to hunt. It's only, only 30 days, and that's the only time you get to hunt. So it's not like golf where you can – find a way to golf all year long, uh, in a warm environment. So you have a very limited time. You have 30 days out of the entire year that you can do it. So I have built in a rhythm that says during this season, I'm going to cheat work and I'm probably going to cheat my family. It's going to look that way at least. Uh, however, I'm going to let people at work know that, that I'm going to work really hard all summer long and my family know that I'm going to spend as much time as I can with them all summer long so that when September comes along and I'm out of, I'm out of balance, everybody's okay with it because they know that was the plan. That was, that was the rhythm. So dad, dad is in the rhythm of hobbies. Uh, next month, he's going to be more in the rhythm of family. And so everybody's aware of this rhythm and we discuss it ahead of time. So it's not this constant balance where you feel like you're cheating everyone. Now I can go hunting and feel comfortable with it because everybody's on the same page. Everybody's on board. So now I'm living a life of rhythm. And so that works in many different ways in our, in our lives. And so that for me was a huge, a huge benefit to the semicircle, uh, not only spiritually, not only in a place of rest of, of making sure that I'm, I'm working from a place of rest, not resting from a place of work, but also in my everyday life of creating uh, a, ba- a rhythm versus balance. It was very, very helpful for me and very beneficial. So 
I thank everyone for listening. I hope, I hope this podcast has meant something to you. Hopefully it challenges you in some way. And there's a takeaway from today's discussion that you can put into your everyday life and you can start doing it now. And I just want to encourage each of you to keep pursuing the Lord in intimacy, keep investing in the relationships in your life. And until next time, let's do this. Thanks so much.